Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. I'm glad you reminded me of that. Maybe I should try harder. Uh, I remind everybody <laughs> about the pew blockage. Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite things. I'm ducking out, you're ducking out. Let's duck out together. See what it's all about. Ducking out, ducking out, ducking out, ducking out. Hi, and welcome to Diking Out, a podcast that is ever so fine and will toe the line. I'm Carolyn Bergier. I'm Melody Kamali, and today we're diking out with the creator of Gentleman Jack, Sally Wainwright. Sally is also the BAFTA-winning writer and creator behind Last Tango in Halifax, Happy Valley, among other beloved British TV shows. Okay, we have a few live show announcements that we want to get out of the way quickly. Melody... The big show is on Memorial Day, Carolyn. We're doing it big and we're doing it broad. And by that, I mean, we have Alana Glazer on the lineup. (gasps) Wow. Wow. Of Broad City. Did you see what we did there? All right. Who else? And if not, Carolyn, (laughs) she's got your back. And then we've got, (laughs) if we're talking about uh, big, we've got Bette Porter Gallery's own Liza Dye on the lineup in from wow. LA. Come on. Wow. Our celesbian correspondent, who is a celesbian oh, yeah, yes. in her own right. Right. We've got Dylan Adler on the lineup. Love him. Fucking hilarious. Allie yes. Clayton, who Who's that? you might know as my lover, Allie. Oh, my okay. Okay. Lover yes. hyphen Allie. Cl- that's how we know. Now I know. Her. That's how you know. Yeah. And we could add to the lineup. We could. Keep it at is, but we've got a couple more. I think we're we're adding ourselves to the lineup. We're gonna add ourselves we're actually to the gonna lineup. do some little baby sets. Yeah, too short sets, not just banter up top, but we're gonna do an actual thought out joke. Amazing, something we've done before. Yeah. Great, it'll be a good time. We're so excited for that show Monday, May thirtieth, Memorial Day. Tickets should be on sale right now. If you're listening to this. Also, uh, a couple shows, if you are listening to this right when the episode comes out and you're in New York already, I will be on a show at Union Hall on Wednesday, May 11th. It's called Slumber Party, and I'm plugging it because it is hosted by friends of the podcast, Jess Henderson and Kendall Payne, uh, past favorites of everyone. So that will be a fun show. Also, uh, for me on June 23rd, I know it's a ways out. Save the date because I'm bringing back Love's a Pitch. And it's going to be at Come On Everybody this time, uh, 8 p.m., which means I'm going to be drafting singles who want to mingle for Pride. So if you follow me uh, at TGI Carolyn, you will be able to uh, see when I'm putting up the call for entries. All right. What about you, Mel? Wow. If you are in Manhattan, and you are listening to this when it comes out and you're like, uh, Union Hall, that sounds great. Maybe that's a schlep. You could stay in Manhattan and see me at the Stand Comedy Club. I'll be there. Or if you're like, I like Melody better than Carolyn, <laughs> you can go to the stand. No one's going to know. It could be a commute issue. Um, I'll yeah. be at the stand Wednesday, May 11th, 7 p.m. What time's your show? Could people cool. pull it off? Or is it at the same time? It's no, it. actually, it's at 10 p.m. So oh my you God. could go to the stand <laughs> and then come to Brooklyn like a real New Yorker. Hell make yeah. that intra borough commute and come to Brooklyn Union Hall afterwards for a little slumber party. A friend messaged me and was like, wait, what is this? And I'm like, it's just a comedy show. And they're like, darn, I thought it was a slumber party full of girls. I'm like, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Charging tickets. But and- <laughs> future show? Future show idea? Yeah. Just a slumber party. It's not a show. It's just an event. We're going to have a gay slumber party. Yeah. Putting it in the universe. Okay. I'm going to freeze your bra, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 
And with that, let's get to the rest of this episode. Uh, <laughs> welcome, Sally. Hi, nice to be here. Thank you for asking me. I feel like we missed a lot in that intro because you have such an accomplished career. You are uh, so well known, um, especially in like British TV spheres. And it's really uh, an honor to have you here today. It's nice to be here. So before we get into anything, you know, we like to ask our guests, what's the gayest thing? that they did this week. <laughs> we can start by saying our gayest things and then maybe maybe it'll inspire you to to find something. I've just been like working all week. So there's just nothing gay about it, I'm afraid. Um I'm trying to think. I'm just trying to think, but really it's hard. <laughs> I, I can't even remember what I've done this week. I'm so tired. But well Ma- Melody, what's the gayest thing you did this week? I mean I went to the botanic garden and saw the cherry blossoms. What's gayer than that? Okay, beautiful. Gay. In a way, they're coming out pretty gay. (laughs) Otherwise, in preparation for this recording, actually, I started reading Female Husbands, a trans history. And it's about, you know, uh, before there was terms like lesbian, trans, it covers the female husbands and the women who loved them. And there are anecdotes about Anne Lister. And that's what led me to this book. But I otherwise dove into the other stories. It's very fascinating. Carolyn, what about you? What's the gayest thing you did this week? Uh, The gayest thing I did, uh, I was in New Orleans, which is full of gay stuff. And I wanted to get some boiled crawfish. And we got a lift to take us to this place that I'd been to six years ago that like an Uber driver told us it's just like some it's called Cajun seafood. Um, It's like a little bit outside the the French Quarter and in kind of like this nondescript and you walk in and you just get like a pound and they give it to you like in, in a bag of of crawfish. So the lift driver is like, oh, what? Why are you going there? And I'm like, well, you know, I had it years ago and it was good. She's like, no, no, that place is no good. I'm going to take you somewhere. Um, I'll end this lift ride and then I'll take you to to the good place. And my wife and I kind of look at each other like, is this stranger danger? But it was a woman lift driver and she kind of had queer vibes. So I'm like, I'm going to trust her. I'm going to trust her <laughs> to take us off the the app grid, I guess, to say. Um and the whole thing was like a little bit of a hustle, right? But I was okay with it because, again, I'm like, we are helping this older queer woman out <laughs> um, because um, we know we're going to have to like pay her in cash outside of this app for taking us to this other place that I'm mm-hmm. sure was like the same quality food. And then she like waited for us while we picked it up so then we could go wow. back in the car, then tells us about we passed this like donut place and she's like, mm, this place is good. You want to go? And we're like, Okay. And she's like, I'll take some. So then we're like buying her donuts. Um, but while she was in there, she was telling me the story. She's like, Yeah, I was messing around with this lady the other week. And I'm like, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> she was gay. So you trusted your queer intuition. That is your gay thing it. of the week. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just letting, um, knowing that you can let um, a queer <laughs> drive you to an undisclosed location and it will turn out. Okay, you know, that's it. So, <laughs> so, so Sally. That you, sounds like a real adventure. <laughs> it was. Yeah, we're usually up for up for an adventure. It could have ended badly. Like, I think the gayest thing I might have done this week, but I don't know if it qualifies, but I'll tell you anyway. We'll make it gay. Please. Okay, so I was filming in a graveyard earlier this week. That doesn't sound very good. That's all. I mean, that's already and, um, queer. <laughs> <laughs> and we saw some forget-me-nots on the grave, and it was really beautiful. And I've been planning my cat's grave because my fabulous Maine Coon died recently. Oh, And I was going to get him a stone with his name on. And I thought, actually, why not just get some forget-me-nots and put them on his grave? Oh. So 
Sorry, that probably doesn't qualify. But there oh, you go. Oh, you have no idea. That's the gayest <laughs> one. That that's gayer that, than all of our things is planning your your cat's burial. Are you kidding? That's so gay. By a long shot, the gayest of all yeah. the gayest things today. Yes. <laughs> Great. Excellent. Well, I win. We're sorry. <laughs> we're sorry for your loss. Yeah. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, he died. Um, he died about. He died in February, actually. But it was just like you know, you've got you, you have many pets in your life, but right. he was like there was something about him. It was like my anyway. There you go. Yeah. Sorry, I've 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 saddened to the turn. I didn't mean to do that. No, it's okay. I mean, I I do kind of want to ask a follow up question, uh, <laughs> if I may. So. You you haven't buried him yet? No, I have no buried him. Oh, okay. You have buried him. Okay. I thought you were waiting to okay. No, no, we've buried him down by the lake, which you like sitting down by the lake, so we've buried him down there. Just because I know somebody whose cat who died and they kept it in their freezer while they were figuring out what to do with it. And it's like a freezer in a New York apartment. And I think that's insane. I think that is insane to keep a no, cat that would worry me if I'd in your that, freezer. I'd be worried about myself. Yeah, um, yeah. No, no. It's um, no. It's been laid to rest. Okay. Um, but yeah, I just thought forget me nots would be a good thing. And then I've discovered that I've actually got loads of forget me nots in my garden. I didn't really know what they were. I'd heard of them, and then I went down my garden, having looked at them on uh, a little app, and I realized I've got loads anyway. So anyway, that's gone off on a real tangent. Sorry, it's got nothing to do with Anlister or Gentleman Jack. <laughs> I mean, you know, charming British stuff. Sure. Definitely is. Love a British garden. (laughs) And we see plenty of that in Gentleman Jack. That's a transition. Let's talk about Gentleman Jack. Yes, let's do it. Um, First off, just have to say thank you for uh, introducing Anne Lister into our lives because like many rad female figures in history just really not talked about seem to be swept under the rug nobody seems to care about them and then you learn about their lives and you're like what this person is fascinating so thank you for bringing uh that awareness now for any of our listeners who may not have seen gentleman jack yet can you give an overview of of what this show's about well it's it's about Anne Lister, who um, lived in Halifax. She was born in 1791, and she died in 1840, and she inherited the Shibden Hall estate when she was 35 in 1826. And um, she was simply a very extraordinary person. She, her, you know, she, her main, the, the reason we know about her is because she wrote this extraordinary diary. It's, it's what we now have left of it is 26 volumes. A huge, wow. it's a huge document. There are seven thousand pages. Uh, we think there are now more like five million words. We used to say it was four million. I think the more recent estimate is five million words. It's that's that's three times longer than Peeps's diary. It's much more interesting than Peeps's diary. <laughs> Haven't read Peeps's diary, but I, I can. I talking rubbish, but it's, um, it's people who have assured me this is more interesting. And uh, Peeps' diary, and uh, it's written by a gay woman, which is what is so extraordinary about it. And and she writes about being gay very articulately and eloquently, and uh, not openly because it's in a secret code that she devised. Um, and she is not, you know, she. she I'm I'm so delighted that the show's been made, uh, you know, with HBO as well as the BBC because it means that she is now world famous. And she deserved to be. She deserves to be world, world famous. And she has been hidden from history. She has been, you know, I've been saying in a number of interviews recently that she has been Halifax's dirty secret for a long time. And now she's kind of its proudest boast because, you know, we live in a world where we can write dramas about gay people and it's um, it, it's no longer something that we can't, you know, talk about and be open about. And um, you know, I think she's found her time. She's found her moment. And, you know, it's the fact that so many people now all around the world know about Anne Lister um, because of the TV show is, you know, I find that very humbling. I think it's fantastic. Um, she deserves this. You know, the, 
what's exciting about the people who've come to Anlista, as well as you know, there are so many there are fans of the show, there are fans of Anlista, but um, one of the exciting things for me is that the Anlista Society has been founded, and it's attracted a lot of academics and scholars to uh, Anlista's world, and um, you know, people are now recognising that the diaries are of great significance, not just historically, but in terms of literature. You know, she was a great writer. Her diaries do constitute a masterpiece of the English language, and it's now been recognised as that. And this is just, you know, so, so it's 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 extra. You know, it's a unique situation. How often does somebody get discovered and pulled out of history who should have been, you know, known about all along, and has just kind of emerged? You know, it's a really exciting situation. It's an exciting situation for Halifax, and it's an exciting situation for you know women all over the world who didn't know that this woman existed and that and she was so um articulate about her lifestyle and about her lovers so long ago yeah i mean even for um i know straight women who watch the the show and they find it just very inspiring to have such this like strong female lead character who is like business savvy and um you know doesn't take shit from men and in in dramas of that time you just rarely rarely see that well i think um what what was extraordinary about there are so many things that are extraordinary about anlista but one of the big things for me is her intellect she was phenomenally she was very gifted and she was very clever and um that often isn't you know at the time it wasn't uh, considered um feminine to to be too clever or to show your cleverness too much, you know. And so um, clever women of that period aren't often, uh, they don't often appear in literature or indeed in history, you know. Um, so it's kind of a breath, breath of fresh air in that sense, not only that she was so gifted and clever, but that she was she, she was out about being clever, you know. <laughs> she yeah. didn't hide it. She didn't... Um, she didn't care that she didn't appear to be feminine because she had this talent for, she must have been very charismatic. She must have been a great conversationalist because she never fell foul of society. She was never ostracised. Um, I think she was just regarded as a real eccentric, even in her own time. Um, and she was obviously quite popular because um, when she was buried in 1841, there's a newspaper account of her death and it said that it says in it that thousands of people lined the streets to see her. Um, carriage oh, uh, wow. funeral cortege go past. So wow. you know, far from being unpopular, she was she was she was probably very well known in the area and regarded as a an eccentric, which she clearly was. Um, but yeah, I mean, she's she, I, I, that's another thing. I suppose women weren't allowed to be eccentric in the same way that you know, until recently on on TV and so many TV shows, women have to be very slender and skinny and under the age of 40, whereas men can be anything. Right. Um, you know, I think, you know, women have always been restricted in the way they've been represented. And and it's, you know, that's that's an ongoing battle. So for someone like Anlista to um, now be, the, you know, the centre of her own TV series, that is, it's, it, it, what shocks me is that think these things haven't happened sooner, you know, that it's it is an ongoing battle to represent women honestly and authentically of these five million words um in her diaries how many do you think you've read <laughs> <laughs> a fraction and a real fraction yeah you know i've concentrated on the 1830s mm -hmm. and uh, we started transcribing the diaries for the show in about February 1832, I think. And we now got through to 1836 okay. uh, for the show and prepping hopefully to go forward. Um, so I've read all that in great detail. But then yeah. the whole swathes of a life that I've, you kind of just dip in and out. So, I mean, this is the great thing about the diary. I think once it's there in your life, and once you can read the plain hand and the code, um, it's it's just there to be dipped in and out of. Um, I think the number of people who've read it from start to finish, you could probably count on the fingers of one hand. Hmm. Literally. Yeah. 
it's so vast. You can't, it's hard to get your head around how big it is. It's, you know, if, uh, I'm sure, I don't know if you have seen, you know, a single page of the diary and seen how, you know, it takes 10 minutes to read one page. Right. Yeah. You know, it's not an easy read by any means. Even when you know the code and the plan hand, it's still, it's still um, a challenge. You know, it's a very exciting challenge and it's always rewarding. It's always interesting, but it's, 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 it's pretty demanding. Right. I feel like this is definitely like best case scenario for having your diaries found is like years later, there's like <laughs> oh, yeah. a show, like this celebrated show because like Melody and I, and I don't know about you as a writer, like we, we journal, we write morning pages, all, all that stuff. And every time I think like, if I get hit by a bus um, yep. and somebody finds this, like it, it's going to be horrifying. Like I'm going to turn into a ghost and haunt whoever finds it. Cause like, do not, do not let the public see this. But then Anne listeners are just like eloquently written and fascinating and stuff. And me is just like spiraling about, you know, something weird. I did like, <laughs> who knows? Always a spiral. Yeah. Do, Ever do, since do, I was a kid writing yeah. like with the awareness that this could be found. Yeah. Yeah. One day this is going to be found. Yeah. Like even, even writing like things like, and in case someone finds it, like just know blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. Um, do, do you journal at all? Do you have a diary? Do you have any of those anxieties of like, um, I, I, I occasionally write journals, a journal, like so I used to write when we went on holiday, just to try and remember things. Yeah, which is nice. It's nice to actually reread it, um, <clears throat> but I tend to start them and and um, forget that I'm doing it. Right. And the, the again, the extraordinary thing about Anne Listris, she hardly ever missed a day. You know, there's a there's a small number of gaps in the journal where she did miss a day, or there's, or there's a number of blank pages where she intended to go back and fill in a couple of days, and she didn't. But, yeah. Um. It it really is tiny the number of times she misses. Um. You know, it's it's a remarkably consistent account of someone's life. It's it and it's interesting the idea of what you've left behind and what might be embarrassing and not embarrassing and it it's 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 a remarkably consistent piece of work. What's interesting, what I find really interesting, is how consistent her handwriting is across the years that she mm. wrote the journal. You can see that it evolves, but it's 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 still clearly the same handwriting that she started out with you know whereas I have about eight different handwriting styles same. and they're all a mess yeah and so it does kind of uh, suggest a very consistent um personality a very um solid solidly developed person from an early age you know and she was yeah. you know she was very um precocious as a child and again very gifted I'm very clever, so maybe it's not a surprise that she was so consistent in a in in a in her habits and in her handwriting. But also to write it all in code. I mean, I guess if I was writing in a code that I thought nobody could could crack, maybe I'd be less worried about people <laughs> <laughs> people finding it. But yeah, to be that consistent and and having developed all that is just crazy. So the um. I'm assuming too that she also kept a lot of her correspondences, or are those imagined? No, she did. There is there is a lot of correspondence. Okay. Uh, there's, there's, what's interesting though, um, I, all the material for the series, I decided to stick to the diaries and what correspondence there is, just because otherwise there'd just be too much information that I couldn't. You know, when you've got deadlines to write scripts, you can only do so much research. And the diary is just so all-consuming that the only... I, I, so I didn't, you know, do a lot of research outside that. Um, but I did... I have used, I have used the letters. Um, but we don't. We often don't have the other side of the letters. Except when Anne Lister, uh, as she did obsessively, writes the other... What, what, what the reply... What, not the... What she wrote to the person. Mm. She also records in her journal, so we we often do have the other side of it. But what is missing is um, the, the actual letters that, that she sent to other people because um, obviously they're in other families' collections or they've been destroyed. Yeah. But uh, what was amazing about Shipton when it came to the into the possession of the town council in um, 1931, I think it was, is that all these ancient documents were still just all there at Shipton and the diaries were hidden 
behind panels in the walls. So, you know, there were um, just a huge amount of material that was in pretty good shape. What initially attracted you to the character of Anne Lister? You know, we've read that this is something you wanted made over two decades. Um, Well, I grew up in Halifax, so I used to visit Shipton Hall a lot as a kid. We used to go there a lot at weekends. And it's kind of a magical place, Shipton. I I always felt attracted to it, even as a really little kid. Um, It's got an extraordinary atmosphere. I don't know if you've been. I, I hope some of your listeners may have done. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people have come over from America to visit Shibden. Um, you know, it, it was built, it, it started being built in 1420, so it's a very, very old house. And it's got an, an extraordinary, as I say, it's, to me it's quite a magical atmosphere. And I think because I visited it real, from being really tiny, it's always stayed with me. And I can't remember the first time I heard of Anne Lister. I think I must have been told that Anne Lister owned the house from being really little. So it's... I, I don't remember not knowing that Anne Lister owned Shibden or not knowing who Anne Lister was. Um, right. But it used to be quite difficult to find things out about her. You know, it was, as I say, she was kind of a bit of a secret in Halifax. People didn't kind of talk about her and, you, you know, it was difficult to find things out about her. And there weren't any books about her um, right. as a kid. Uh, and there wasn't the internet, you know, where you could just press a button and find something out. Um, so it wasn't really... I, but you, but you kind of knew who she was, and you knew there was something transgressive about her, and that she was there was she was a, a bit of a eccentric and that sort of thing. But I never really knew why, so I just kept my ears to the ground. And it wasn't till Jill Liddington's book Female Fortune came out in 1998 that I kind of got you know first really big hit of who she really was, and it was just so it was like everything I expected her to be. Mm-hmm. Um, from from kind of things I've picked up over the years, but didn't really know. And it just wasn't a disappointment. You know, it was the opposite. <laughs> you know, she kind of really it, does deliver on your expectations of it, as I Was it through that book how you learned that she was gay? I think that was one of the, okay. the kind of dark secrets that you knew um, or, or you thought you knew. It's really hard to remember now what, what I did and didn't know about her as a teenager because obviously I know so much about her now. But when I was growing up there, I just knew that there was something very um, uh, intriguing about her. Uh, and because I was I was always inter- interested in history, I loved Shibden. And there was, at, the, at the centre of it was this really fascinating woman that you couldn't ever find out enough about. You could only find dribs and drabs and, you know, bits and pieces. And, uh, it, you know, she was just a... Um, an intriguing character who you couldn't quite get to grips with. Um, and I, did, I didn't know she'd written a diary. I didn't, or did I? I can't remember. I really can't remember what I did and didn't know. But I just remember always trying to find stuff out about her and it was quite hard. I think the first book about it, I bought about her was um, a book by Muriel Green and it was all about her travels. And there was nothing about the code in that because obviously people, Muriel Green um, first published that book I think in the very early 80s and and there were people who transcribed the journals before then in the 1960s, two women had transcribed the journals and the the local town council wouldn't let them publish the book because they were worried about it um, reflecting badly on Halifax and reflecting badly on the Mr. family Um, because, you know, times were very different then. I mean, you have now this like overload of information and you have to decide like what to include in the show, what not to include. Um, I don't know if this changes it at any point, but I did notice what hasn't been included is one of the more um, fascinating, uh, truly aspects of Ann Lister that I learned in my, my own research after watching season one is that she kept um, lockets of her lover's pubic hair. Uh, will we ever see these pubic lockets <laughs> on Gentleman Jack? Um, uh, uh, not in season two. Okay, in season three, can we just have like a wink at them? Like, can we just have some like lockets? Like she just is putting like a locket away. Yeah. I think she's had them framed and she keeps them on the wall somewhere. Yeah, yeah. She, there's, a, there's a passage where she... Um, Early on in a relationship with Anne Walker, when she thought it was coming to a close, when she thought it wasn't going to go anywhere, she did ask her if she could have um, 
uh, a keepsake. Yeah. And uh, she asked her if she would cut it herself. Or did she ask her if she could cut it herself? I can't remember. But that would have been in season one. So, yeah, I skated over that. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure that I did skate over it, actually. I, 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 I don't know why we didn't do it in season one. I probably, um, I probably considered doing it. The, pro- the problem with the diary is sometimes there's things you do, do really want to keep in and there's nothing that I wouldn't put in. You know, I wouldn't be prurient about something like that. It's it's often that there's just too much material and you can't get everything in that you'd like to get in. Sure, sure. Um, so, uh, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, I'm, it's, I'm glad you reminded me of that. Maybe I should try harder. Uh, I remind everybody <laughs> about the pew blockets. Uh, it is <laughs> one of my favorite things. Are there any other, like fun facts I guess we'll call them like that about Ann Lister that you know probably aren't relevant or like don't naturally work themselves into the show but just things you've come across where you're like wow that that leads into this like eccentric character I mean there's all sorts of stuff like that I mean this I I remember Helena Whitbread showed me a poem that Anne wrote when she was um, probably a teenager and it was about having a poo Going to the loo. I don't know what you call it in America. <laughs> Having a shit, taking yeah, a dump. That's it. Yeah, taking a shit. Uh, okay. Yeah. And uh, she wrote about it like giving birth. And it's a it's a comedy poem by Anne Lister about having a shit. Uh, there you go. Um, what else? And she was very interested in anything scatological. She does record her movement, bowel movements, regularly. I, I have had a, got a little nod to that in season two. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, that's so funny. So she's a poo poet. I love it. <laughs> uh, what else? There's so there's too much too much information. Uh, I can't. I... Sorry, because right. it's like what hasn't she written about? It's all. <laughs> it's all there. All right, let's take a quick break from this Ann Lister chatter to tell you about our newest sponsor that we love, Anna Luisa Jewelry. They make quality jewelry at affordable prices starting as low as $39 and in a variety of styles with options that look good for a range of ages and tastes. They have new collections out every Friday. And let me tell you, I have worn my Capricorn necklace from them almost every day since I've gotten it. You heard me right. They have a collection of Zodiac necklaces and they look so high-end and nice, but they're actually really affordable. And I'm constantly getting asked about it from my fellow queers when I'm out. So it's a nice little conversation starter for you singles. I even got a Sagittarius necklace for Cecilia because what is more gay than a couple of married dykes with matching astrology necklaces? Also, Ana Luisa jewelry products and packaging are carbon neutral, which we love. We have a special promo for our listeners. If you go to shop.analuisa.com slash diking out and you can find new jewelry for you and maybe your boo because there is a buy one, get one 40% off sale right now. Ana Luisa jewelry is still honoring their Mother's Day pricing for our listeners. So again, that's buy one, get one. 40% off or treat yourself to multiple pieces because I'm sure you'll find several styles you love. I know I did. That's shop.analuisa, A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A.com slash diking out. You'll be happy you did. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey! 
Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. I mean, and then the contrast between Ann Lister and Ann Walker is a very interesting thing to watch, and also the influence that that Ann Lister has on on Miss Walker and how we see Miss Walker change. What was that like bringing that character to life? Since I guess, I mean, how much information did you have about Ann Walker outside of just what was in the diaries? Very little. Um, well, I, I did use Jill Liddington's book, Female Fortune, which was re- really helpful. Uh, Jill's done an extraordinary amount of research um, into the Walker family. And the fact that her family and, and Walker was related to all the um, rich families in Halifax at that time, those kind of network of um, important families in the area, which is, you know, a big part of the story that Anne Lister just, doesn't just uh, take on Anne Walker's immediate family. She's kind of taking on a number of um, movers and shakers in Halifax at the time when she embarks on this relationship. But it is primarily taken from the diary, though. Uh, again, I didn't do much research outside the diary just because there isn't time within the time scale we've got to produce the show for me to um and because of the size of the diary for me to do that so it's kind of and an, this is very much an Lister's portrait of Anne Ann Walker in many ways but the great thing about the diary um is that it's it's so detailed and it's so truthful it's so you know she doesn't shy away from uh presenting Things even when they're not necessarily favourable to herself, she does tend to present a rounded um, portrait of things because she wrote the, the diary primarily as an aid memoir to herself, so she doesn't sugarcoat anything or, or even just present it from her point of view, although she does present other points of view, I think. Um, and so the portrait of Anne Walker is pretty big in the diary, it's pretty layered. And you can often see through her if she's if she's overcritical of someone. You can you can read between the lines often. Um, it, for instance, like with her sister, you do often when she's being um, mean about Marion, you, you tend to read between the lines and see it from Marion's point of view rather than mm-hmm. Anne's. And so I think you do get a very clear portrait of who Anne Walker was from the journal. Um, and it's you know it's interesting that she did. She did suffer from what we would now just, you know, term mental health problems, and that there probably wasn't that much wrong with her. You know, she she died in an asylum in 1854 in New York. Uh, sorry, she wasn't in New York at the time, but she was in an asylum prior to her death in 1854 after Anne Lister's death. And you know, these days she just I, it, her situation would probably have been dealt with in a very different way. That um, yeah, for sure. And I, I, I you know, I just. Well, you get a sense that she just wasn't that bad. She was just very lonely and um, isolated, and uh, you know needed some support, which Anlister gave her. Which is why, when she was with Anlister, she seemed she often seems a lot better and a lot able to cope with the world. Um, so, um, and then uh, I don't know if you know, but one of Anne Walker's diaries was discovered last year. Oh no. No. Again, so many people have come to do research in the archives since the show's gone out. An extraordinary number of people have, um, you know, been fascinated to come and do scholarly research on Anne Lister and Anne Walker. And a lady called Diane Holford found one of Anne Walker's diaries um, in the archives. So we now have that as well. It doesn't really present a, a much bigger portrait of Anne Walker. It's, you know, in comparison to Anne Lister's detailed diaries, it's 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 really not comparable but um it's interesting to you know that that's been discovered and hopefully people will find more and more of that sort of thing and we will get a bigger more detailed picture of Anne Walker this time passes. since we have such robust insight into these women's lives how much of the show is rooted in fact versus fiction almost all of it I mean in season one I um 
invented the story with the Soudans because I wanted to, to dramatise stories involving the tenants. So I made that up. Mm-hmm. Um, season one was kind of an experiment, as any season one is of anything. Because, you know, even though you've uh, pitched it and you've got it greenlit and you know what it is, um, as as you write the whole series from having had it greenlit with one episode, things evolve. and. I was going to, I wanted to write about the tenants, make stories up about the tenants. And what became clear during the course of writing season one was that I really didn't need to make anything up because there was just so much material in the diaries. Mm. So in season two, I've kind of that, finished that story off with the Soudans and just reverted to using the diary, content from the diary. Wow. Mm. After, I think, ep three, um, everything is... Is from the diary. There's nothing made up at all. I mean, huh. obviously, I make up the dialogue. Sure, um, sure. <laughs> but even, even even a percentage of that comes, you know, from the diary. Wow. Yeah. So um, the situations are now all from the diary, and um, so it's it's kind of um, it's just my own. It's my take on the diary, and the hardest part really is what to, what to leave out. You know, there's um, <laughs> there's vast swathes of stuff that I do have to leave out because there just isn't room to get everything in. I mean, this is different than your, and um, forgive me, I'm, I'm not familiar with, with all of your past work, but a, a lot of your your shows aren't rooted in like um, actual like historical writings and, and all of that. Was that challenging to kind of shift into Yeah, writing? I mean, I, I wrote a film about the Bronte sisters called To Walk Invisible. But apart from that, um, everything else I've written, I think, is contemporary. Yeah. The, the, the hardest thing really wasn't the historical thing, because, I, I, you know, I've, I've always been a keen historian. It's kind of weird that I haven't written anything historical more recent, more, uh, sooner than I have, to be honest. But um, I think the hardest thing, certainly when I wrote the film about the Bronte sisters and writing Anne Lister, is finding the voice, the voice for people who really lived. Um, it, it weirdly wasn't that difficult with Anne Lister. In fact, because you kind of hear a voice in the diary, you hear her voice in in the plain hand when she's writing uh, just about ordinary things, and you hear her voice even more in the coded bits because it is kind of stream of consciousness. You know, there's no there's no um, punctuation in the uh, coded bits. It's just one long. You know, there isn't even gaps between words. It's just one long stream of whatever she wants to say mm-hmm. and it, it it often feels remarkably modern it, you know we're used to seeing period dramas where people talk in a slightly heightened way and you do realize that is just actually um a conceit of dramas written now that are set in the 19th century um it's a sort of television conceit that people speak in this heightened way and when you read Amister writing in code it's it it, it doesn't always have that um, it doesn't feel that far away. It doesn't. She, she doesn't feel dead because she isn't dead. You know, when she's writing it, she's very much alive. So you never feel like you're dealing with a dead person. You know, it's, it's sometimes kind of a, a bit of a shock to me that she's dead because when you're immersed in the diaries, she's just very much alive. She's 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 very, you know, alive and kicking very much. So you know, you know, Sir Anne Jones nails it. Obviously, like gives an incredible captivating performance seems to really bring the the character to life or it's very believable as like this is exactly how Ann Lister would have been was anybody else ever seriously considered for the role or is that who you always had in mind to to play her I didn't have her in mind I didn't have anyone in mind to be truthful because I, I think I wrote the first couple of episodes of season one blind which is unusual for me I do usually have someone in mind Mm. Um, and it was quite tough to write without anyone in mind. Um, but I think I couldn't quite, I couldn't see anyone. I couldn't see anyone who I knew on TV, um, who could encapsulate everything that about this magnificent, extraordinary, multi-talented woman. Um, and it did get to a point where, you know, we, we had to cast someone, (laughs) And um, we looked around at, you know, at the end of the day, we needed someone who was in their early 40s who could carry the lead in a massive series. 
And there, are, there just aren't that many people who can really, really do that. And we did look at a couple of other people, or we thought about a couple of other people along with Saran. But um, she came in to read, which she wouldn't normally do because she's, you know, at that point in a career where she doesn't need to come in and read. She she just deals with offers. And um, she just she just nailed it straight away. She just really got it. She just, just came in with such energy and balls and robustness and charisma that it was it was it was a real no-brainer and I think retrospectively I hadn't immediately thought of her because she has a very contemporary vibe a very contemporary energy um which stupidly is exactly what makes it work you know <laughs> that's that's it's it, it does feel like she's just come from another period of history completely and landed in the 19th century and that's that that tension that dynamic is kind of what makes it um uh rock really you know she's she's just so um unusual in her world and yet so so much the center of it all and and then when we you know we got into rehearsals and stuff um she she just really embraced it so wholeheartedly she's so um you know uh thinks about everything to the to the nth degree every every line every subtlety every subtext she's she's really on it and really pushes things and delves into things very deeply and um I, I can't imagine anyone else doing this part you know it's it was it's such a as one of the reviews said this week gentleman jack is a very wordy show and it is you know and she was a wordy person she was a wordsmith um and there are a lot of lines to learn and it's like it's it, you know it's a very challenging role mentally and physically and uh, it's she. She just rises to the occasion, time and time again. She, I mean, she's extraordinary. It's an extraordinary performance. I mean, obviously, the impact of the show is profound. Um, as we touched on, we even read a story about how the show helped. I believe a woman overcome agoraphobia and start to leave her home. I don't know if you saw that. I was curious. Um, you know, since you've probably received such positive reception about Anne and the show from women all over the world, especially with the HBO component. Are there any favorite stories of the show's impact? Well, that was mine. That was one that I talked about. Um, yeah. I've, I've had a lot of letters. I don't, I don't, you know, as a writer, you don't necessarily get a, 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 you know, a huge number of letters in the way that Saran and Sophie would. But I have had a lot to do with Gentleman Jack, and it is usually from women who've, you know, got an experience that they want to share, that something, you know, um that 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 the you know they've been inspired by the show and it's people who you know who say their lives have been changed because of the show because of the influence of you know someone like Anne Lister. Um mm-hmm. and she's very inspirational. I find her inspirational all the time. You know, the, we have this joke about on set that if they don't quite know what to do, it's like what would Anne Lister do? And it is a <laughs> And it is a great fa- phrase to have in your back pocket, you know, in any given situation. It's like what would Anne Lister do? She'd, you know, she'd just get on with it and she'd, she'd face up to something. She'd deal with it. She wouldn't hide away and not get on with things. She'd take so on she... more debt. Whoever's <laughs> in charge of the production budget is like, no, please do not think like the Lister. Please reel it in. <laughs> yeah. So I, I got a letter from a, a lady who's um, gone out for the first time in ages, which touched me because my mum was agoraphobic. So, um, it, it meant a great deal to me. So it's, you know, it's really nice when people write and share their experiences with us and it makes us realise we have had an impact. And there's a documentary being made by the BBC called The Gentleman Jack Effect and it follows three women in England who who um, uh, come out to their families. Um, oh, wow. Um, having, you know, got the impetus to do so from having watched the show. So, you know, wow. it's, uh, you know, it's great when you realize that, you know, I write TV, I write TV because it's my job, because I love it. And my big thing, you know, I've always just, I, I, my prim- primary objective is just to entertain people. But then yeah, when uh, you find out that what you've done is change people's lives in a way like that, it's really, you know, it's quite, it's not quite what you expected. And it's, it's, you know, it's really humbling. Yeah. Now, 
this isn't your first rodeo when it comes to writing about lesbians. Um, I'm sure that some of our uh, viewers were fans of Last Tango in Halifax. Um, and I'm also sure that some of them are still mad about Kate. Uh, what do you have to say to those listeners? Are, are people still mad about Kate? Do people still give you a, a hard time? I don't know. I mean, it hasn't happened for a while now. Okay, <laughs> and I'm just stirring the pot. I'm just yeah. <laughs> reminding no, them. No, it's. I mean, it's a really interesting question. You know, um, it was a mistake, in case of it. I really, it was a silly mistake. It was the third season, and we've got a storyline sorted out involving an actor who suddenly went unavailable. We had to change the storyline at the last minute. Which uh, you know, a big storyline, not just a tiddly storyline, like a big backbone of the series type storyline. And what we came up with was that, and it was unfortunate. And I didn't realise the impact it would have. I have to be, I really didn't understand that there was this thing that all gay, female um, gay characters die, get killed off. Yeah. I, I just didn't know that was a thing. When, when you looked into it, what, what did you think of like, <laughs> like learning about the trope and seeing all the examples of these lesbians being like brought in, people fall in love with these characters and then they're. Yeah. Yeah. To be fair, off. I mean, it wasn't a widely or we it wasn't such a thing at the time. Right. There wasn't social media. So now it's like when it happens, it's so amplified. And right. It, yeah, if it happened, right. now, it would, it would there'd be a lot more. But there were things like I got sent a, um, a thesis, a booklet full mm. of stories that people had actually got together and organized to construct this book full of information about why I shouldn't have done it. <laughs> and outside the production office, uh, people fastened padlocks with ribbons on to the gates <sighs> of the production office. Um, wow. Stuff oh. like this. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I did get a death threat. I don't think it was actually very um, serious in its intent, but. No, it wasn't. Wow. I'm very sorry about that. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. But. Um, She's over it. Uh, yeah. No, it was a mistake. I wish I hadn't done it. I really wish I hadn't killed that character off because it would have been really nice to see that relationship with Caroline grow across the next two seasons that we did. Right. And, um, and it, it was. Um, it was a mistake, and I, wish so, I hadn't done it. Knowing um, how, let's say, passionate um, queer women are about shows in which they're they're represented, um, were were you nervous about the feedback going into Gentleman Jack? No. Okay. No. <laughs> I mean, I knew I'd always wanted to write about Amelia, and I wasn't really thinking about the response to Kate's death. To be honest. Yeah. When I wrote Gentleman Jack, it was a completely separate show, and um, it didn't, it didn't. No, I don't think I thought about it at all. I mean, the reception has been very positive, um, so I don't think that there is um, anything to to worry about. And obviously, it's it's rooted in history, so you're not just gonna kill somebody off, right? No, right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but she did die on Lister. Um, in allegedly, no, allegedly, if we could avoid uh, that, we can, we're going to have to find a way of dealing with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah just change the ending. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, Ghost Hunters, Gentleman Jack edition. <laughs> Do you think I should change any? Do you think I should not have a die? Yeah, no, just turn it into the next um, like British haunting drama. <laughs> <laughs> Keep her alive. Um, that's that's all we want. No, um, obviously you've you have technically brought her back to life through this show. So um, I think that makes up for any past transgressions involving Last Tango in Halifax. So you're good. You're good. Yes, we've we've cleared you. Everyone can calm down now. Stamp it. Why do you think people love making period pieces about lesbians? I don't know. Um... I, I, I only know about Amistra. I don't know about any other period lesbians. Oh, so you haven't seen um, Ammonite? <laughs> no, I haven't. I haven't. Um, I want to see it. Um, 
let's just say in terms of charisma, it's the opposite of Ann Lister. <laughs> oh, is it? Okay. So maybe I shouldn't watch it. I don't know. No. <laughs> wasn't my favorite. Uh, yeah, it's so I guess a, another thing in like lesbian televisions and, and films is that we're we're always getting these stories that are set um, in older times. And, uh, and a lot of times it feels like it's because there's some kind of like, oh, it's like scandalous, the sexuality and the conflict in queer stories is often centered around the fact that they're gay. But what's re refreshing, I would say, in Gentleman Jack is how much Ann Lister owns her sexuality and doesn't um, doesn't find it to be like so like she's not really conflicted about her own sexuality that's like a problem for other people and she can't be bothered with it and and that's what I think sets the series apart so so for any listeners who are like oh I don't want to watch another one of those shows like this isn't it this is <laughs> empowering mm -hmm. I hope so I mean I wanted to present um a portrait of Anne Lister and that you know she had so much to her and so much about her that I didn't want it just to be about a sex life I wanted yeah. it to be about that and everything else as well Yes, but there is sex in it. So also another reason to watch. Uh... <laughs> uh, what can viewers expect from season two? I know um, in the States at this point in of the recording, there's just what the first one. One episode's out right now. Yeah. Episode one of season two. Um, season two is about how now they are living together at Shipton Hall as a married couple. It's how they make that work in society with Anne Walker's family, Lister's family and the tenants and the people in Halifax. And how not only does Anne Lister, you know, make that work perfectly well, she starts to expand her empire mm. um, in Halifax and starts to try to wield more and more authority in Halifax. Um, it covers the, um, what was called the window-breaking election of 1835. So there was a, a very violent election in England in 1835 when the radicals were really starting to um, make their voices heard and landowners like Anne Lister were starting to feel it, starting to feel the effect of ordinary people uh, starting to um, get the franchise. So um, she's kind of, um, again, just being very bold in, a, in, a, in the world in oh so many ways, not just in her lifestyle choices. She's uh, you know, really entering into public life in Halifax as well. Also, a lot of ex-girlfriend drama, which <laughs> feels so contemporary. Uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I don't think that this is really like a, a spoiler or anything, but like asking her wife if she can... Um, if they could all be friends with her, her ex, and if she can go and visit her, I'm like, oh, how many of us have been there? This is so painful. Like, just screaming at Ann Walker, like, you don't have to do this. No, shut it down. <laughs> you don't have to be friends with your exes. <laughs> we have so many episodes about this, and yeah. <laughs> but apparently they did. I, I mean, this is something get to do more, but um. Mariana did come and stay at Shipton when Anne Walker was there, and apparently they did get very well. Of course they did. So gay. So yes, gay. so <laughs> relevant. Uh, well, we, we do have to wrap up, so is there anything else that you want to tell our listeners about, about the show or anything else you're working on? Um, no, I just want them to keep watching. I hope they enjoy it. Um, I hope they all want to come to England and visit Halifax and learn even more about Anne Lister. Yes. Working on Happy Valley. We nearly finished filming that. And um, uh, next week we started filming The Ballad of Renegade now for Disney, which is about a character who's a bit like Anne Lister when she was younger. Okay. Um, <laughs> so that's hopefully going to be fun. And I hope everybody will watch that too. Yeah. Love it. 
Sally, thank you so much for taking the time to dike out with us. It's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you again for uh, all, all the work that's gone into bringing uh, Ann Lister's story to life. It, it's uh, very important um, for, you know, for women, for gay women. Um, and, you know, I think men, I think it's important for men to know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something for everyone. Thank you very much. Nice to meet you. Great meeting you. Take care. Thank you everyone so much for listening this week. Remember to check out our new sponsor at shop.analuisa.com slash diking out for a special buy one, get one 40% off deal. The link is in our show notes. Also make sure you are following us at diking out on Instagram and other social media platforms. You know what they are. Watch Gentleman Jack out on HBO right now. And you know what else? We'll see you next Tuesday. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.